Good morning, Faith Church family. My name is Reggie Romaine, and I serve as an elder. Uh, also, I serve on a prayer ministry and a marriage ministry alongside my beautiful wife, Teresa. The scripture verse for today is Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you uh, will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Thanks be to God for his word that is alive and active, that changes us as we receive it. You've heard this phrase before, whatever happens, right? We've said it, you've heard it. We talk about it, we use it when we talk to our friends or the family we love. We want to give them some kind of reminder, get their focused attention. Whatever happens, you got to know this, we'll say to family and friends. Whatever happens, grab their attention, give them some instruction and some encouragement. Sometimes we'll use this phrase when we're heading into a competition or a test or a battle. For a while, I coached little guys playing football, and I remember a specific championship game where you have these 11 and 12-year-old little football players where their helmet is bigger than their entire body, right? And you're in the championship game, and I remember as a coach telling them at halftime, guys, listen, Whatever happens, if you play your heart out, if you do everything possible, whatever happens, when you walk off the field, hold your head up high. It doesn't matter win or lose. It grabs their attention, whatever happens. This past week, my middle son, Shepard, I sent him off to army basic training. And I said to him, son, whatever happens, I'm proud of you. We use this phrase to grab people's attention, to give them encouragement and instruction. We're in this sermon series in the book of Philippians. It's this New Testament book that Paul writes. And at the end of chapter one, he's going to say to them, whatever happens. And he's trying to grab their attention and give them encouragement. He said, I love you guys. I pray for you guys. He's giving them all this rich encouragement. But at the end of the chapter, he's like, hey, come here for a minute. I, I got to tell you something. Whatever happens, and I know for me, with all that's going on in our world today, everything that's happening outside of me, and everything that's happening inside of me, that all that I think and all that I feel, all that I'm wrestling with, my joys and my struggles, I need to hear from God some focused encouragement and instruction. Hey, Joe, whatever happens. So if you have a Bible, love for you to join me in Philippians chapter one. It's in the New Testament, electronic paper copy online if you're following with us. Grab your Bible, Philippians chapter one, verses 27 through 30, and we're going to be grabbed a hold of by God to give some focused encouragement and a challenge. As you get there, let's pray together. Father, we all come in today, whether online or here on campus, we come into this moment of worship and learning with all kinds of thoughts and feelings. We believe that you're God and that you still speak. 
So open up your word and with your spirit's power, speak. Remove distractions. Remove discouragement. Remove fear. Remove doubt with clarity. Spirit of the living God. Work, comfort, convict, teach, guide. Do what only you can do through these moments, I pray in Christ our Lord. Amen. Paul says, whatever happens, and it's at the end of the chapter. So what does he say before that that's worth talking about? I'll just review with you for a moment. He says earlier that God wins. He reminds the disciples there in that church that Jesus is going to return, and he's going to make all things right and new, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will come, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess to King Jesus that God wins. He always wins, even when it doesn't seem like he's winning, God wins. He also says, God finishes, like God doesn't do things like you and me. We start something, we don't finish, we fail, we give up, we throw in the towel. That's not God at all. When God starts something, he always finishes. So God started your life. God started your faith. God started to transform you. God starts something, he always finishes. Paul wants to remind us that God finishes. He wants to remind us in this first beginning that Jesus is famous. Um, here's the problem with that. I want to be famous. But Jesus is the only one who's famous. It doesn't matter how many likes you get, how much money, how much schooling, how many people think you're cool or dope, what your YouTube description, all that crud. It doesn't matter. Jesus is the only one famous. And when I come into a relationship with him, I live for him now. He lives in me. Everything that he does through me makes him famous and not me. It's not about me. Paul wants to remind us of that as he begins, and he wants to remind us that heaven is home. That everything this side of heaven, everything this side of not being in the presence of Almighty God is not going to satisfy. That when I put my trust in Jesus, he promised me eternal pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Right now, I'm not in God's presence. And so that means that I feel like this earth and my home is my home, but in reality, this is not our home until I'm in the presence of God, when I will be truly home. Before Paul says, whatever happens, he says, God wins, God finishes. Jesus, his glory and fame above everything else. Heaven is home and reality and peace and pleasure forevermore. He says all of this, then he goes, now whatever happens. Whatever happens. Interesting. Paul's not saying whatever happens sitting in a comfortable chair in Allentown suburban Christianity in his blessed best life ever. He's sitting in jail, strapped to a Roman guard in prison. And he says to them, wait, 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 guys, all of these truths. And he says, now listen, whatever happens, whatever happens, I think when this letter was read to the Philippian church, 2,000 some years ago, I think he had their attention. Does he have yours? Does he have yours? Whatever happens, verse 27, 
Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's the smart, capable, successful, passionate guy who bumps into the living Christ, has his life radically changed. No longer does he have to live for the pleasures of this life. No longer does he have to please people. No longer does he try to please God or work hard to get God's approval. The Spirit of God lives inside him now and changed his life radically. He gave up his old self and he took on a new self leaves his old career and his old passions and starts traveling around the world telling people about Jesus. Here's the thing. I don't believe if Paul knew that following Jesus would land him in prison, he might not have said yes. Like, hey, Paul, when your life is going to change, you're going to get stoned and beaten and you're going to be shipwrecked and you're going to be strapped to a Roman guard does that sound like fun? Are you signing up? I'm Paul. If he's like me, he's going, uh-uh, I don't, I don't want that. And yet here he finds himself. And with joy and with peace and with purpose, he says, now family of God, whatever happens, he's not just this Pollyanna thought, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Paul says whatever, he means whatever whether that's rocks thrown at you, whether that's you have no home, whether you have no safety, no health, whether there's sword or famine or heartache or pain or cancer or suicide or addiction, it doesn't matter. Whatever means whatever. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. It kind of reminds me of something I'd say to my sons when I leave town. Listen, guys. Whatever happens, you better act like a Hensler, right? Like, I'm flying away. I'm going away. I'm going to come back, I hope. But if I don't, you got to know. Whatever happens, there's a way that you live in this world that you act like a Hensler. Paul's saying to the followers of Jesus in Philippi, and he's saying to us today, whatever happens, conduct yourself like a son, a daughter of Almighty God. And that's super helpful and clarifying to me because I lose sight of this. I lose sight of my focus as a son. There's a little more to this instruction. This phrase, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That phrase, conduct yourself, in Greek has political overtones. Paul's actually making a political statement. That phrase, conduct yourself. He's writing to people who live in Rome, in a colony of Rome, I'm sorry, And they're very prideful. They're very thankful. They're very, very Roman. They want Roman culture, Roman citizenship. They love their Roman pride. And now Paul's saying in a very specific, explicit way, conduct yourself like a true citizen, not of Rome, but of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of Christ. Later on in Philippians 3.18, you can write this down, Philippians 3.18, he gets more explicit. Paul says, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again with tears, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, meaning they live for their appetites. Their glory is in their shame. They love doing shameful things. Their mind is set on earthly things. 
And he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, guys, pay attention for a moment. You're not like that anymore. You've been changed. You used to live for appetites, but no longer. You used to live to set up shop here because you thought that this life was all there was. Not any longer. You're not a citizen here. Your citizenship, your true citizenship is in heaven and you wait for a savior from there. Don't fix your eyes on earthly things. He's saying, hey, conduct yourself in, as a citizen of heaven. And that was hard for these Roman citizens to hear because they loved their culture. They loved their society. But Paul knew that Rome would come and Rome would go. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Paul knew that. So he's like, hey guys, let me get your attention for a moment. Don't put your loyalty there and how I need this same truth because I'm a proud, patriotic American. I'm not sure if you are, but I am. I love this country. There's problems here. There's things that have to get better. There's injustice. There are wrongs. There are certainly room for lots of improvement. But this is a great country. I have so many great benefits that have been paid for by people that have gone before me. This is a great country. But Paul's reminding Joe Hensler, Joe, is your loyalty to America first and Jesus second? Because that's backwards, Joe. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means loyalty to Jesus first and loyalty to America is second. That's a hard pill to swallow for some of us, but we need to be reminded of this because if you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul continues in verse 27, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you'll stand firm in one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Our primary loyalty is to Christ and to his kingdom. So Paul says, if I get released from prison or I stay in prison, whether I live or whether I die, we're on the same team together, right, guys? Remember, Jesus suffered. He was persecuted and killed, and then he rose again victorious. And Jesus says, no servant is greater than their master, so Paul's looking at Jesus and seeing Jesus suffer and die and then rise again victorious. Now Paul is following that same model. He's suffering and going through hardship and knows he's going to rise again victorious. And he's looking at these Philippian Christians. He's looking at you and me today and going, we're all on the same path together. One team united together. The spirit of almighty God enabled Jesus to endure and be victorious. The spirit of almighty God enabled Paul to endure and be victorious. Spirit of Almighty God will allow you to endure and be victorious. We're all on the same team. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Without being frightened. Are you frightened? I am. I'm frightened by what I see. I'm frightened by what's going on in our country. I'm frightened by what's going on in our world. I'm frightened by what's happening in schools. I'm frightened what's happening in politics. I'm frightened by what's lack of leadership everywhere. I'm frightened. And Paul's saying that I'm supposed to be without fear. The language there is interesting. In Greek, he uses language that describes a startled horse. 
Have you seen a horse? Horses are big and strong. And if you startle a horse, do you want to be anywhere near it? Come up behind it and smack it on the back with a piece of wood? What do you think is going to happen? Paul's like, that's not what you're supposed to be as followers of Christ. But isn't that happening in our country and world right now? Isn't that happening among Christians that we're acting like startled horses? That the opposition that we're facing, the difficulty, the struggle, the hardship, we're startled? How could this be happening? And then we stampede and run over each other and everyone else? And Paul's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That those loyal to Jesus that are united in one spirit are not startled by opposition. That's God's design for us, that I would get to a point where I'm not startled that I can conduct myself with loyalty to Jesus, that I'm united in one spirit. His spirit is living inside me and enabling me to not be afraid or frightened or startled. There is going to be opposition. There was opposition for Paul. There's opposition for Jesus. There's going to be opposition for you. If you play like Jesus on the field, you will be startled, but you don't have to stampede. You can expect it. You can expect it. So I think it's with great love that Paul speaks to the Philippian church and says, conduct yourself in this manner. Be loyal to Jesus. Don't be startled. I think with great love, God wants to communicate to the modern American church to get our attention and say, whatever happens, whatever happens, but we need this reminder that opposition outside of the church is causing drama and division inside the church. Have you noticed this? That all these problems, all the suffering, all the difficulty, all the injustices that are happening in our country and in our world is seeping into the family of God and causing infighting, drama, division among God's people. That's not God's design for his family. Yes, there is difficulty, opposition, heartache, injustice happening in our world but it's not intended to startle us or cause drama and division among us. Yet who talks about this? Who talks and teaches and tells us that this is normal, that opposition is normal, that heartache and difficulty is normal? Because if someone would have told that to Paul before he started, he might have said, I'm not interested. If someone would tell you and me, this is what your life is going to be, you might have said, I'm not interested either. But Paul says this, it's in the Bible everywhere. Acts 14.22 says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He says in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus says it in John 16.33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have over." come the world. I mean, this is biblical teaching. It's not what we're used to hearing. And yet when we stand united together in these things, these difficulties will come, but it doesn't need to divide or cause drama in the family of God. He goes on in verse 28 to say, this is a sign to them, to those who will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Translation, when opposition comes, I won't be rattled. That when we face opposition with joy, not fear, 
People's going to see Jesus in me. There's something so different that when something difficult happens to you and you don't act like a stampeding horse, that causes people to go, wait, what's going on with that person? That if there is supernatural joy, supernatural peace in you, when you go through difficulty, heartache, suffering, even persecution. It causes people to go, something different is happening in this person. It causes them to see that Jesus is alive. So at work, you got passed up for that promotion, right? You can act like a stampeding horse. I can't believe how bad this is. And you can throw a hissy fit and you can act like everybody else in work. Or you can go, this stinks. You can be hurt by it. It could be a great struggle, but you can carry yourself with a level of peace and joy that reminds yourself that you're a part of something bigger, or you can just freak out. When you get the diagnosis of cancer in your family, you could freak out and say, how could this happen to me? Or you could say, this is terrible news. God, give me joy and peace because there's people watching whether Jesus is alive in me or not. I say Jesus is alive and that I'm living for a better resurrection and I act like this world is all there is. So when anything hard happens, anything difficult, I freak out like a stampeding horse and everyone looks at me and goes, your God is dead, not alive. Instead of Yes, we're going to feel real things in the job market, in our health diagnosis, in our families. We're going to go through hardship and heartache. We're going to weep. We're going to grieve, but we're not going to freak out. That's God's design for us, that when we're loyal to Christ and we're reminded that we're living for something more, that this world isn't our home, that we're united with other people that are following the same Jesus, that we don't have to freak out out if this wasn't hard enough. Let's get to verse 29. I'm actually just going to stop at verse 29 because I don't want to do verse 29. Verse 29 sucks. It's a terrible verse. I want to rip it out of the Bible. If I didn't have to preach it, I wouldn't, but I have to because God's word is alive and active. If it wasn't hard enough, listen, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. What? Believe and, what's the word? I'm not taking that. No, I, I didn't sign up for this. You, you're telling me the Bible teaches that I'm granted the opportunity to believe in Christ and suffer for him? This is too much. Maybe Paul's just saying this because he's in prison. Like maybe he's just going, you know what? I was a frat boy and I was hazed. So now when the next plebes come up, I'm going to haze them too. Like I'm in prison. It was hard for me. Now it's going to be hard for you. Except the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted, Peter says, because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. 
He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or a meddler. He's like, if you're suffering because you did something stupid, that's your problem. That's not what it is. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. For it is time for judgment to begin in God's household. Whoa. Okay, Peter, you're not telling the truth either. Let's ask Jesus. Does Jesus say this? Jesus, Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, the entire New Testament teaches that it is a gift to both believe and suffer for Jesus, which means there are going to be ways as a follower of Christ when you follow and your loyalty is with Jesus. There's going to be ways that life is going to be hard, harder for you. I don't want to sign up for this. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I thought following Jesus meant. The Bible teaches, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin. Saved from your shame. Saved into a relationship with God forever. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be saved from heartache, pain, and suffering now. It just doesn't mean that. It means there is going to be suffering and hardship and heartache, but we live for a greater reward. And this is why I think so many of us are struggling in our faith. Because nobody talks about this. Nobody teaches this. And I know it's hard to swallow. I know it's hard to hear. But here's what happens to me. Maybe this happens to you. When God doesn't answer my prayer to heal my friend or heal my loved one, When things are hard and they just keep being hard, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. When people I love die or struggle with addiction and I beg God, do something, change something, fix something, and he doesn't answer my prayer, I think he's mad at me. I think he's distant from me. I think he's left me. I think he must not care. I think he must not be faithful. When I ask him to give me kids and I struggle with infertility, when we go through all these heartache that happen in all of our lives and we say, God, change, fix, help, and he doesn't, we look at him and go, you must not care. You must not love. You must not be real. You must not be present. Instead of going, wait, the Bible teaches that to both believe and to suffer is a gift from God. And people, preachers don't talk about this because to preach like this means half of you might not come back next week, maybe three quarters. Preaching like this empties churches, not fills them. And so we talk half the truth. We only give part of it because we don't want you to be offended or hurt. We don't want you to think badly about us. But is that what happened to Paul or Jesus or Peter? Did they really have their best lives every day and life was easy and comfortable and wealthy and wise? I don't think so. 
It was hard every day. And there were good days and there were bad days, but the trajectory of their life was hard. And yet God worked in them and through them, and God will work in you and through you. And I know, I don't want to preach this sermon, but here's the deal. Hard truth sets us free. Hard truth gives us hope. I don't like swallowing it. I don't like preaching it. But I know in our country and in our world, people are not talking reality anymore. We're all so given into we want to hear it a certain way, and when we don't hear it the way we want it, we tune out, we turn off, we leave, we go another direction. As if we can sidestep the truth. You cannot, I cannot sidestep the truth. It's what sets me free, and it gives me hope. And so, a lot of times preachers will give half the truth. There's times that I've done that, half the truth. There's times that preachers will say to you, you know what, if you're really suffering and you're going through heartache and hardship, you need to pray more, you need to give more, you need to have more faith, because if you prayed and gave and had more faith, you wouldn't struggle with these same things. That's not true. If it was true, Jesus would have just prayed more and he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Paul would have just gave more and he wouldn't have been in prison. No, that's not true. In this world, Jesus says, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. But whatever happens, guys, God wins. Whatever happens, God's going to finish what he started. Whatever happens, Jesus is going to be glorified and famous Whatever happens, heaven is real, and it's our true home. I know these are difficult things, so I, I want to kind of try to focus it for you quickly, give you a, a way to look at this, whatever happens, how to think about it. Live loyal to Jesus. Whatever happens means whatever happens. Whatever heartache, whatever loss, whatever suffering, whatever disease, whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever addiction, whatever hope, whatever joy, whatever marriage, whatever baby, whatever job, whatever, live loyal to Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to get our attention to say. Jesus is the only one who's unchanging. And Paul would say, unite us. Unite. Uh, well, that's a dollar sign. Unite us <laughs> with the Spirit. Like the Spirit of God, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside you. And that's what unites us together with the people online and the people in this room and the people in the chapel and Christ followers from every color and stripe and tribe from every generation, past, present, future. Unites us together that God's spirit is inside us and can give us the power to endure whatever we face. To not give in to the drama and to the division that everybody else is giving into The Christian community that's here and in other places that's stampeding and trying to trample everyone and everything down because they're afraid. Instead, we can, with the Holy Spirit's power, be at peace. That doesn't mean we don't fight for what is true, but we don't fight like everyone else. Doesn't mean we don't stand up. Doesn't mean we don't do something. Doesn't mean we don't speak. Doesn't mean we don't act. Doesn't mean we don't serve, but we don't do it with an edge that says, I'm a scared horse. 
We do it with the peace and the power of Christ in us and the love of God. Live loyal to Jesus. Unite us with the Spirit, the hardest one. Expect opposition. Expectations mean everything. If you think you're going to make it through this life and you're not going to cry a lot, you're dead wrong. If you don't think you're going to face attacks, the evil one knows how valuable your soul is just as much as God knows how valuable your soul is. The evil one knows just as much. Don't think you're going to make it through without tears, without discouragement, without loss, without death, without heartache, without pain. Some of us live with our expectation that it's going to be greater today than it was yesterday. And every day is just going to get better and better and better. And we're going to see Jesus and it's going to be great. Uh, I haven't met anybody like that. That's, that's actually happened. So can I encourage you? If you expect opposition today, it helps you to just go, okay, I might face some opposition. It's okay. I'm going to be okay. It's what helps us to be joyful. To be a joyful loser. So I got to say to you, I would like to, if Joe was just by himself, living Jersey Joe style, I would just take this board and throw it on the ground. If I were you, I'd be like, I hate this. This is stupid. I'm drop kicking this board and smashing it on the stage. Because who can do this? Can you? Okay, raise your hand if you can do this. You idiot in the back. No, you can't. <laughs> like, you can't. Who can do this? Who can do this? Am I alone? Can you do this? Am I alone? I can't do this. So what does this cause me to do? If this is the truth, Joe, whatever happens, live loyal to Jesus. You're united with the Spirit. Expect opposition. Be joyful always. If I'm going to do that, I need God's help, don't you? So this becomes what I pray. God, whatever happens, help me to be loyal to Jesus. God, whatever happens, use your Spirit to empower me to endure. God, whatever happens, help me to expect opposition. God, whatever happens, make me joyful. This becomes what I pray because in my own person, I can't do this. You can't do this, but God can do in us what we can't do ourselves. And it's what makes us look different in this world and causes people to go, wow, that, that person's Jesus must be alive. I, I want to know that Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, this is super hard. If there's anything I said that's wrong or incorrect, please forgive me. God, forgive me for times I've only given half the truth. God, forgive us for being so quick to give up or give in when the going gets tough. Forgive us for complaining. We need you. Oh, we're desperate for your help because the life you call us to live, to both believe and to suffer, is impossible. But there are people gone before us that have done it, and there are people right now around the world in places like India and Pakistan, South America, that are dealing with real life persecution, rape, 
murder, suffering right now, and they're joyful. So you can do this, God, in us. You can give us faith. You can give us strength. You can give us joy. You can help us to endure. Please, with whatever we face, help us to endure. Help us not to make boneheaded decisions and call those things suffering for your name. But in obedience, when we walk with you, when we follow you, when we trust you, if difficulty comes because of that, help us to count that as joy and a sign that you're alive in us and make us attractive to the people around us in the workplace, in the home, in our schools, because we're different, a good kind of different, not a weird whack different, but a good different that's at peace and not scared. Only you can do this. We trust you. We love you. Amen.